Hey there, Bending the Arc listeners. Just a quick and exciting update since this podcast was recorded about a month ago. Our guest, Bethany Friel, has since been promoted to Vice President of Property Operations. As you'll hear, it's an incredible pathway from her career beginnings in clinical social work and human services to now being responsible for the entire resident services, community engagement, and real estate property management portfolios at Trek Development. We're very proud of Bethany, an alumna of the Mandel School at Case Western Reserve University, and we can't wait to watch her next phase of mixed income leadership. Welcome to Bending the Arc, a podcast series that explores the everyday work of creating inclusive, equitable, and racially just communities. I'm Mark Joseph, one of the co-hosts of this podcast, along with my colleague, Dr. Amy Carey. We host and produce this podcast along with our colleagues at the National Initiative on Mixed Income Communities at Case Western Reserve University. In this episode, I'll be talking with Bethany Friel of the Trek Development Group Real Estate Company. I've been eager to feature Trek Development on the podcast ever since we referenced their amazing work back in podcast episode six, in which I talked with Frankie Blackburn and Bill Trainer of Trusted Space Partners on the topic of a call for property management transformation to meet the challenges of mixed income communities. Their essay and our podcast discussion spotlighted Trek development as a stellar example of a company working hard to strengthen the ability to promote thriving mixed income communities. Bethany and her colleagues at Trek have been on an intense journey of ramping up and integrating their operations across development, property management, and resident services, working hard to not only produce high quality, affordable housing, but to truly transform lives and communities. The Trek development team would be the first to say that they've got a long, long way to go, and there've been many, many bumps and misstarts along the way. They are far from figuring it all out. But I heard Bethany speak recently at a convening of all the mixed income public housing transformation sites in Chicago, and she was spectacular, bringing so much insight and experience to the discussion about the challenges and the strategies of the developer and property manager role in creating and sustaining these communities. So I'm thrilled that she has agreed to join us for this episode. Bethany Friel is the Director of Strategic Operations at Trek Development, which focuses in the greater Pittsburgh region. I'm proud to say that Bethany is one of ours here at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. She's a proud alum with her Master's in Social Science Administration from the Jack Joseph and Morton Mandel School for Applied Social Sciences. Bethany joined Trek in 2014 as the Supportive Services Coordinator and she has led the company's community engagement initiatives and developed their approach to resident services with the operational task of integrating the work of resident services and property management. I'm very excited for you all to meet Bethany and to hear about the fabulous work of the Trek Development Group. Bethany Friel, welcome to Bending the Arc. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. It's great to have you. Let's start by learning a little bit more about you. So I've already shared your background with the audience, including the fact that you are a proud graduate of the Jack Joseph and Morton Mendel School of Applied Social Sciences, which is our social work school here at Case Western. In fact, you and I met about six years ago because I believe you received an alumni mailing from the school that talked about our center's work. And then you reached out to us and you said, hey, I'm actually doing some work on mixed income communities. Might you all be able to work with us? And that led into six, seven year journey at this point of work with you and your colleagues at Trek Development. So it's been a joy for me, I will say, to watch your professional development over that time. You'd probably be the first to say you've come a long, long way uh, over that period, but it's been fun to me to watch it. So maybe to start for our audience, could you just summarize a bit about your career trajectory? Like, how did you get into development in the first place? What were you doing before that? Just give us a sense of that arc. 
Sure. So I came to Trek. Um, I had close to 15 years of social work experience before coming here. I had worked in foster care, community programs, schools. I worked in a transitional housing program. And just prior to coming to Trek, I was working in community mental health. So I kind of say, like, I went where the wind blew me, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's an opportunity, something that I can feel like I can contribute to, but I can also learn and grow something um, from this position. And so I had done that for many years and quite frankly, never thought I'd work at a development property (laughs) management firm, particularly for profit. I was always kind of trained to think that my world and my space was in the nonprofit Mm. entities. Um, So I I came to Trek really just through a connection, one of the companies that I had worked for previously and Trek was looking for a supportive services coordinator at the time, somebody to look at the programming that we were offering or not offering, but basically how do we support our residents and what what is the way, how do we have not just our affordable housing, but how do we make that more meaningful for people? So in 2014 is when I came here. Great. And we'll come back in a moment because you've really transitioned in a number of roles while you've been at Trek, even just over that period. So we'll come back to that in a second. Let's tell our audience a bit about Trek. And you mentioned a very key thing I'd love folks to kind of hold on to, which is it's a for-profit real estate development company. I think as you're hearing this conversation, folks might naturally start to think in their minds of it as a nonprofit because it's so mission-oriented, unusual for a for-profit company of this type. So um, tell us a little bit about Track, kind of where are their properties, what's kind of the scope of their operations, and, and what do you think makes them distinctive as a company? Yeah, so we are a privately owned development property management firm. Our development company has been well-established over 30 years in the business. We regional focus is where we are. So um, the Pittsburgh area and, and just within like an hour outside of that is most of our portfolio. Our development team does about two to three development projects a year special focus on mixed income and low-income housing tax credit communities. Um, we're currently working on two choice neighborhood initiatives here in Pittsburgh, which, which I love to be a part of. Those are fun and challenging initiatives. Our property management company is newer. At one time, we, we had all of our properties were being managed by a third-party company because our pure focus was development. Around 2013, 2014, probably maybe a little earlier than that, the decision was made to manage our own properties um, and grow that side of the business. And that was an intentional decision on the part of Bill Gaddy, our president, John Janaki, our executive vice president, to say, we're working in, in transitional communities and we're saying stuff on the development side and pre-development that, that this is going to change the community, you know, what we're doing. And so having a hand in how the property was managed was really important to actually seeing that vision through. So when we started bringing in our own portfolio, our own properties, now we've been in it um, close to 10 years and we have 1,200 units in our management portfolio right now, 45 properties. So our properties oh, are wow. smaller. Wow. Um, eight, those are within, I think, eight counties. Um, when I started at Trek, we had about 14 people on staff. We now have 52 mm. staff people. So we've definitely grown in the last few years. Some kind of fun things about us I, that I like about the work that we do is we don't we do not do work that's standard, if you will. We have some really unique properties. So think about those 45 properties that we have. One of them has an artist preference to it. It's an old brewery that has... Um, a focus on artists. We have public housing transformations that we're working on. We have a Section 8 property that's in a suburb of Pittsburgh. It's the only affordable community in in that area, in that neighborhood. Um, We also have a newer property that just came online, which has set aside units for individuals with autism. So we call that a welcoming community. And so we're really building a community around this idea of everybody's welcome to it and come as you are sort of theme. Wow, that's great. Why do you think track is set apart like that? Kind of what explains, like you said, the, the kind of developments you have aren't necessarily the standard ones we would think of. That seems like each of them has kind of a twist to it or something. What's where does that come from? 
Yeah, we don't do anything easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we just do something easy? Um, well, that's no fun. I think it's part of it. Um, is doing just the standard. I, I think that's really a vision from Bill, Bill Gaddy and John Janaki. I mean, I think they're, they're people who see our work as um, really, I mean, our, our mission as a company is to um, create value, enhance lives and strengthen communities. And and they, that's really what they do um, through our development work. So it's just a part of who we are and how they are. Being a regional development firm, I think also lends itself to allowing us to have those unique things because we are here and present. Many of us drive past our own properties on our way home to work. The people that we are in community with, um, in community meetings with, we're standing in front of, um, might be our neighbors or people that we're hanging out with later. You know, like mm-hmm. we're, we're a part of this neighborhood, this, this city. And I think that does kind of force us to um, one hold ourselves in a higher standard of like kind of committing to our word but then also um, just allows us to be more creative because we're here it's a great point about the power and the the positioning of a regional company in that way I'm so glad you referenced Bill and John Bill Gaddy and John Ganaki in their key roles and again Bill is the founder president and CEO of Trek and John is his long-serving executive vice president, and I've gotten to spend a lot of time with both of them. And as you said, have a sense of their their personalities are reflected in the company, right? Their sense of vision and willingness to step out there and try some new things and their commitment to what the impact of this housing should be. So I'm glad they've been named. Uh, I'll call them out a little bit. They were a little maybe shy to come on. So here's Bethany standing <laughs> in for the company. Um, but they deserve mention. And I just wanted to open if there's anyone else that you wanted to mention in terms of Trek leadership so the folks have a sense of who's been helping move this work forward. Yeah, Trek leadership. Um, Trisha Corwin and I, um, she was our, our previous director of property management. Um, but she and I had worked really closely together over the last four years and particularly over the last two. And she's certainly a part of our story and a part of this journey um, of how we got to where we were. Because without... Um, her without um, kind of the team that we've developed, we certainly wouldn't be where we are today. Great. Nice. Appreciate the shout out to Trisha, who I also know, um, yeah. both from her previous work and her work with Trek, uh, and I've seen her up in, in Cleveland as well. So glad you you named her as well. Let's come back to you. As we've previewed for the audience, you've had a series of roles at Trek. And so I want people to have a sense of the perspectives that you bring, because that's one of the reasons I really wanted you to talk to our listeners is because you can come at this from so many angles. And one of the challenges in mixed income community development is there's so many roles to be played. And very often those roles sit in silos. So you've got the developer who's worrying about finance and construction and infrastructure. You've got the property manager who's thinking about how they're going to get leased up and what are going to be the rules in the building and how we're going to make sure we maintain the building. And you've got the resident services folks who are like, we've got people at the center of all this. This is all about the people at the end of the day. And what are the supports for the people and how do we build community among them? What's been neat about your career trajectory is you touch all of those and your director of strategic operations. You've got a, a title that allows you to connect across. So can you just trace for us, how did that happen? That wasn't planned on day one in 2014. Here we are in 2022 and we got there. So how, how did you get there? When I started as the resident services coordinator, I think eventually we, we changed the title to resident services manager, but that, that there had been no one else in the position before me. So it was this new position kind of, we don't, we don't really know what we're doing, what we want to do, but help shape this. So what an opportunity that was to, to come in and learn about about this work and then be able to shape that. I had been in that role, I think probably technically it was three-ish years and in my time in that space, I I just had the opportunity to learn. I mean, honestly, I just got to learn. Like my first year was um, joining meetings with our development team being able to understand what happens in pre-development, how communities are looked at, um, how our, you know, Trek looks at communities, understanding it from that perspective, 
um, looking at designs of buildings. I mean, I, I sometimes I sat at tables and I was like, this is so silly. I can't believe I'm here. I'm just like, I don't have anything to contribute, but I just soaked it all in mm. to try to understand what, what that was. I also got the chance to interview, I think, people um, nationally and locally that were in the business. And so I just kind of started soaking in what is property management, trying to learn and understand the role of property management, the impact that it has on communities. And so I spent all this time just kind of learning, I guess, while dabbling in work a little, you know, throughout that. So um, I was providing services at, at a few properties, just kind of in a light touch services, if you will, as I'm learning. I was working with our pre-development team on a public housing transformation. Actually, it's in my neighborhood, Allegheny Dwellings. And um, so I was I was a part of the pre the engagement efforts there. I think it was like around 2015 is when I had um, reached out to you and, and mm. Frankie and Bill from Trusted Space Partners. And we started learning about operating culture and community network building. And so around that time, my work really shifted into that focus. So like, what, what, what could this look like if we did this and started practicing and trying new things? And then we really made a clear decision that no, this is this operating culture shift is what we wanted to do. And so that's when um, I, I started in the role of um, director of mission, culture and people, um, which was such a fun title. I was a little bummed when <laughs> I, I changed titles. Um, but th that role was, I think, in a lot of ways, a utility night. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was like one of those positions where, you know, my job was to incorporate our mission and our values and how we wanted to operate as a company into our daily practices and into our policies. And so I was I was working within human resources and continued to work with the development team. At that time, we were focusing on choice neighborhood efforts. And I was um, leading and guiding our resident engagement efforts during that time in the choice neighborhoods planning initiative, as well as managing through the people plan. So kind of juggling those pieces and learning it from from that perspective um, and then I started collaborating with property management and learning what really are the core responsibilities of of property management I mean I think I was really annoying to them actually during that time <laughs> so I've kind of been able to to touch on all those different pieces um, and and now in my role of strategic operations I'm also looking at accounting and finance and how how that works into this, you know, how does, how does um, you know, asset management as well play a role in, um, in the work that we do. Mm. Wow. I'm realizing, Bethany, as you're talking, that there's another audience, a, a built-in ready-made audience for this particular episode, which are students at our, not only our school, Mandel School of Applied Social Sciences, I've given it a shout out already, but in general, and, and in particular social work students with their MSW, because as you're talking, right, you started out in your career doing that kind of work, right? You were focused in mental health services and working with people and helping families. You got to sit at these tables that were suddenly these real estate development tables, but the theme that I would lift out for what you were saying is curiosity. And those who have heard me speak will not be surprised that that theme would spark for me. You were so curious. You wanted to know more. You were asking questions. You were annoying the property management folks with all your questions. Like, why do we do it that way? And uh -huh. why can we? <laughs> but it was a lot of curiosity. Mm -hmm. If you probably, if you hadn't had that curiosity sitting at those tables and you were just sitting there like, okay, I'm here to do my part, that you would probably still be in a role that was in one of the silos. Mm -hmm. But it was your curiosity about these other and you're leaning into opportunities to hear, oh, wait a second, what are the finance folks doing? Mm -hmm. Wait, what's going on in HR? How does that affect what we're doing? How does that, that curiosity has led you to be able to be a director of strategic operations. And I think this is exactly what students need to hear, as well yeah. as all of us, right? Is you just never know what tables you're going to be at. And if you lean into that table with some curiosity, what that can lead to. 
And it's not just about you. You've done not. I know you. You are one of the most modest people I know. You haven't done this in a self-promoting way. Like you didn't go into this like, how am I going to climb the trek ladder? That wasn't your point. You were like, oh, wow. How can we use this company to reach its mission most effectively? It's turned out having you in this role is a way to do that because of your ability to touch on all these different pieces. So thank you for laying that out. I'm probably going to be like pulling just that clip of this podcast and uh, playing it in every classroom at the at the <laughs> Mendel School. So just just so you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send the paperwork so you can sign off <laughs> on that that usage as well. All right, let's get into Trek and mixed income communities. So our uh, frequent listeners would know uh, that we've already discussed Trek. Uh, on this podcast. So actually it was episode six. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, we had Frankie Blackburn and Bill Trainer on from Trusted Space Partners. And they were talking about property management and their essay in our What Works volume was all about this call for transformation in property management and how property management could just be the front lines of beautiful community building work. Uh, and so it was a great conversation, and they chose to spotlight Trek as an example and to say, look, here's a stellar example of a company that is doing some really exciting work in Pittsburgh. And so when they said that, I might have even said on the episode at the time, like, we got to have the Trek folks in. So <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment when Trek could kind of speak for itself, and so glad you're here uh, willing to do that as we go forward. So we're going to go back to the beginning in a moment. And talk about, as you said, back in 2015, you're starting to hear these ideas, you're starting to think about it. So we'll go, we'll go back to that in a moment. But I think it would help our listeners if first we kind of start now, which is what are the array of things you have in place? There are all these components that have been built out to help a property management a development company do so much more than those things in terms of really trying to transform lives and transform communities. So could you take a moment and just kind of give a sense of the menu when you look at the various kind of things Trek does in its properties? I think I'm going to share a little bit of some like programmatic stuff that we do. Please, to, exactly. To kind of understand yeah. some That's of, perfect. of that um, as well as the, like some of the operating stuff that we have, we have done. So, you know, again, we're regional and we have smaller properties and that, that kind of changes then what we have to work with and um and how we have to think about supporting and growing our communities so we have all of our properties um, have just unique offerings based on who they are so mm -hmm. i reference the artist preference building the brew house um, which is on the south side of pittsburgh and um, that building was with the vision of a nonprofit here, the Brew House Association here in Pittsburgh. And, and so, you know, they have, they have space in the building. They have a gallery. It's beautiful. They have, um, they have a, a, some other space where they have studios and, um, and work with artists and, and kind of growing business and leadership development skills and whatnot. Um, early on when the building came to be, there was, there was a lack of connection between the two. It was really hard, right? Because everybody's kind of doing their thing, and and there was a there wasn't a bridge. And so we had we had put um and and actually actually an intern, a social work intern was working in that building. She is now a project manager for us on our development mm. team. I think is super cool. Nice, nice. Um, she was working there and really helping to develop intentional relationships among those two entities, the residents in the building and this nonprofit starting to, to carry that out. Um, so it's kind of a unique thing that we wouldn't really do at some of our other properties, but we looked at this one and said, we have to do something that we need to build this bridge because the vision was to have this bridge. So how do we make that happen? Um, I talked about the property that, that we have with um, Jeremiah Village. It's the welcoming community with units set aside for individuals with autism. That has a partnership with Glade Run, which is a nonprofit here in this area. Actually, I came from Glade Run hmm. um, before, I, before I worked for Track. I was doing community mental health with them. 
um, they had, they work and specialize in serving individuals and families with autism. And so they're, they're a service provider for us and they're helping us inform and educate the whole community on how do we share life together and help to bring um, not just direct services to residents, but more of a community. They're bringing a community spirit, I think, mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, of, of each other there, which will, will help that be, um, hopefully continue to be a welcoming community. Some of our managers themselves, you know, we have staffed our properties in a way where our managers um, have time to be present with residents. And so one of our managers, one of my favorite things that she does is talk to me Tuesday Hmm. and she holds a talk to me Tuesday and they, um, residents come, they, they, you know, I'm sure they have food and laugh a lot and they talk about ideas and they actually make them happen. like the Mm. best thing ever you know um so they they do a lot of community activity there Um, so those are kind of programmatic things that we have um one of our other properties which the section 8 property i referred to um that's in a suburban neighborhood here in pittsburgh they they have a network of residents where we they actually give a stipend to people to residents they apply to participate and they contribute five hours a week to the property as a part of what they're doing is building community, supporting kind of bigger efforts at the community level. But they're also working on their own personal goals and doing some personal development with our team, our whole team there. And so we call that a, a stewardship team. Yeah. So those are some of the, like programmatic kind of things. Mm-hmm. Great. So it, it immediately gives our listeners a flavor. You all have a lot that you're doing beyond the regular functions, which of course you have to do if you're going to have high quality uh, properties uh, for folks to live in. You're doing all the basics, but then there are these extras. So I wanted to give folks a sense of where you've arrived. And in a moment, we'll go back and and talk about how you got there. Just um, You mentioned Section 8, a Section 8 property, and most of our listeners know what that is. But just for those who don't, that's a, a form of federal um, funding for affordable housing. So when you hear Section 8, that's actually an entire building that has a kind of place-based flow of these dollars into that property. And so it'll be able to be maintained as affordable over time. So that's what the the Section 8 was referring to. All right, let's go back to where it all started. So as you reminded me, maybe 2015 or so, when you reached out, I mean, not to over-dramatize it, but it was a little bit of a cry for help, I want to say. Maybe that's that's kind of played up the story. But it did feel like a, whoa, we are we got our hands full here in Pittsburgh. Uh, some of the things you all are talking about at the National Initiative on Mixed Income Communities around how to think beyond just building housing into building community and how to think about building community across folks who are coming from some very different uh, background socially and economically. So I think that struck a chord with you and was a reason you kind of reached out. But can you give us a sense what, what was going on and why did you reach out at that time? That was early in my time here at Trex. So that was when I was really learning about affordable housing and being, you know, I was learning about all the different perspectives and expectations. I think that's when I realized, oh, no one's talking to each other. I think you said that mm. earlier. Like, you know, there's not there's this vision and this idea that that is kind of brewed during development, but it doesn't really get down to the property when the property opens or 10 years later, like it doesn't, it kind of gets lost somewhere and we're not talking. So I, I kind of learned about that. I, I, I was learning about the importance of the manager. Um, really that, that, that role is so important in affordable housing and it, I mean, I, I believe it makes or breaks how a community operates and, and how residents and neighbors behave with each other and how staff and residents interact. I was providing some direct services at a couple of our properties at the time. And I, I learned the hard way. This is kind of, I feel really embarrassed telling the story, but I'm going to tell it. So I was at one of our properties here in the Hill District and you know, I was like fresh, right? It's like a whole new thing. I'm learning this stuff. And so I sent out a paper survey and I think we had like a, a party or something. Like if you turn in your survey, you get you get your name in a raffle for a basket. Somehow, I don't remember. People said that they wanted financial education workshops. 
I was like, perfect. That's something I can do. I know, I know how to make this happen. And so I go and I um, coordinate that. We, we like pay money to have this financial education workshop on the property. It was, you know, a four or five week series. Um, super excited. Got the word out. One person came. Oh, oh, ouch. Ouch, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm the worst. I can't <laughs> believe this. And um, and it was then I realized like, wow. Like shame on me, because I didn't ask anybody. I didn't I didn't do anything except like on a piece of paper say you wanted this and then I'm gonna go bring it to you and you're supposed to come. But like, I don't know, I'm a working mom, so it's not like I have lots of free time. And so if someone's really wanting me to come to it they should ask me my schedule. <laughs> they mm. should ask me. So, you know what I mean? Like, it did like, that's how it works in my life. So I like shame on me for not thinking about that, but it, that was like a really pivotal moment for me because it's like, wow, this is hard and mm. I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, at that same time, we were working at Allegheny dwellings and engaging residents and preparing for public housing transformation. We were in the pre-development time. We are um, kind of master planning. We are starting phase one designing that that was like a real moment of like how do we do this well mm-hmm. um so th- there are probably other things happening at properties that were were things you know i think one of our properties was was having some experiences that you know looking back they felt really dramatic i think <laughs> maybe that's why you felt that sense from us i don't think in the moment now i'm like oh this is probably like normal but we wanted it to be not that way, mm-hmm. I think is what that was for us. And so when I read the article, um, the paper, I think it's called Building Intentional Networks. Is that what it was? Something like mm-hmm. that from Frankie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read, I mean, I was like going through your center and like the, what you guys were putting out, I was reading and trying to see. I was like learning about what was happening all over the country. But when I read the story at Edgewood, it was like, like, a light bulb went out, like, this is it. I mean, I think within 24 hours of reading it, I was talking to Frankie, I was talking to the staff at Edgewood, I had convened our team together. I was like, this is it. This is what, this is the answer. <laughs> this is what we should be doing. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I did that, but <laughs> <laughs> but it felt right. So. I love it. I'm so glad you gave the specifics of what was in that mailing that you got. And so you had been looking at newsletters, but this particular one had a link, as you said, to a previous um, piece written by uh, Frankie Blackburn. And and I think Bill was a co-author of that as well. Uh, as you said, it's about creating intentional networks in, um, I don't know if it was mixed income communities, perhaps, but the point was calling for so much more intentionality and creativity and innovation and just opening up space to think differently about a space that can be very regulated and structured and systematized. And we have thousands of people doing it every day the same way. And here was a a piece saying, well, there's another way to go. And there's another way where you bring in aspiration and you bring in connections and you create networks and Mm -hmm. residents have a real voice and a role. So that was a key part of the story. Like you said, little did you know what uh, was going to happen once you picked up that phone and were on the line with the one and only Frankie Blackburn. Um, but so glad of what it's led to. And we're going to tell that story. So what happened in those early days? So you had those conversations. We came to Pittsburgh. I remember we went, went and walked Allegheny with you. We went and walked Dinwiddie. Is that, was mm-hmm. that another? Yep. We went and walked yeah. Dinwiddie with you. And then you guys started scheming, like, okay, how do we get started? How do we get going mm-hmm. here? Can you share with the listeners a bit? How, how did you start? What were some of the things you all did in the early days? First of all, we looked at staff communication. Mm. How do you know? How do we want to start messaging and talking about this among staff? And so we started holding more staff gatherings, staff meetings, talking with staff, showing staff literally what we were learning, you know, trying out new things in those those meetings which was new to track right when i started we had 14 people on staff probably around that time we we maybe had 30 and i don't know the exact number but so that was a new thing in any way to to come and bring us together so 
um, we started having different conversations with our staff. Um, we started, I started learning more about property management, really being intentional about understanding the business of it and started looking for like, call them like two for opportunities. I think I learned that from, from banking mm-hmm. bill. Can you tell um, folks what a two for is? What's a, what's a two for and a three for? Yeah. Three for that feels intense. Oh. This is like <laughs> the moments that that regularly occur and using those moments to get something more meaningful out of it or something else. So a connection with the resident. So an example in affordable housing is we have to do recertifications. It's the one touch point that, that we have with residents every year. So how do we make that exchange more meaningful? How do we build a connection through that, that touch point? Um, whether it might be inspections, new inspections, preparing for, um, for a property um, inspection from, you know, whether it's the investor or the state agency, you know, how do we, how do we use that moment to not just walk in someone's apartment, we're here for an inspection, you know, but how do we take a moment? How do we shape it so we can pause and have a moment of connection with the resident um, to build trust? So these are so important. They happen every, they can happen every day. These two furs and three furs. Yeah. So part of what I realize is we get so used to saying that term, but we we, we truncate it. So the full term would be a two for one or a three for one or a four for one, right? So you've got one opportunity, but you're going to get two, three or four things out of it. Mm-hmm. So to use your example, income recertification. So once a year, you need to talk with residents who are receiving some kind of housing subsidy and you have to check in. What is your income today? Maybe it's gone up, which is great. But if it's gone up, then you might need to pay a little bit more. If it's gone down, maybe the subsidy might need to change. But we just need to recertify Mm -hmm. that you still qualify. So you have to have that meeting. And typically, it would be a very formal. In fact, I would think I've never been in one, but just uncomfortable. It's just like, you know, regulatory. I'm checking on you. I'm monitoring what you earn to make sure you still deserve to live in this housing that we're providing. The point that we learned from Frankie and Bill and Trusted Space Partners is, hey, why not use that for other purposes? You're mm-hmm. going to meet with them to go over their income. Can you also use that as a moment to just check in? Is there anything that's been happening in your life that we should know about? Anything that we should be celebrating or anything that's been particularly challenging? So that would be the twofer. Mm-hmm. Make it a threefer. You could say, hey, we've got a network night coming up next week where we're going to be connecting with other neighbors. Can we just let you know about that? Maybe it's something we haven't seen you out of the network night yet. Would you like to come out to that? And so there's a third uh, role that you might have from that. You might learn in the conversation that, oh, the person's had a baby in the past year. Oh, did you know that Ms. Johnson over in building five also just had a baby? Have you guys met yet? Maybe that's a connection we could make. Maybe you guys could walk around with your strollers together or whatever. So Again, the point is that there are these basic things that happen every yeah. day in the life of a property manager that are going as missed opportunities to be doing community building work. Yeah, because we're focused on compliance. I mean, property management is so hard. It is such a hard industry. They have a lot of boxes they need to check. They have to be really thorough. Um, and so what what could happen sometimes in, in those recertifications is um, I, I have 15 I have to do this month and, mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to get to it because, you know, all these other things have been happening on the property. So, so today's my day, I'm going to do it and I'm just going to get through these. And, and, and that's real. And this, I mean, it's just the reality of what life is like on a property. And so giving the space for people, one, identifying it as some, as an opportunity, and then two, giving the person the space to be able to take five minutes. How are you? Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to make that connection, think about other people in the neighborhood for them to connect to. Um, recently, one of our properties was doing kind of a spring cleaning event and they wanted, the site staff wanted to do a community garden and they were going to do some raised garden beds. And, you know, we could really like, they could pull Bethany and just go build all of these raised garden beds and put them places and then be upset later because nobody's using mm, them, right? Mm. But instead we said, well, how about we take opportunities that we have to see residents and ask them if this is something that they're interested to. And if they are, where would they use it? Like, where would we want to put it? You know, kind of ask a couple of questions. 
So we use the beginning of the month when people were bringing in rent to ask those questions. Hey, so glad to see you. Normally we would just take the check, put it to the side, you know, we'd be on our merry way, but we were pausing in this moment to say, hey, how are you? I have some questions. We're kind of wondering about this, wondering what you think and doing kind of an informal survey. Um, it creates something more meaningful on the other side. Mm. Love it. So those are two furs and three furs, everyone. The, you know, listening to you, Bethany, I realize it's it's part of the magic of how you're able to play these roles is you have the heart of a social worker, you have the brain of a social worker, but now you've added in, you also think like a property manager and you think like a developer. So you instinctively just now spoke in defense of property managers of like, it's really hard. It's just hard to do your compliance work. It's just hard to make sure the property is appropriately maintained and people are paying their rents on time and you're doing lease ups and you're keeping the building full. And let's not mention, we've all just been through a pandemic oh, okay. that just threw the industry into complete disarray, not to mention turnover among staff. So there's mm -hmm. all of that in the regular work. And then here come folks like me saying, Ooh, but you guys could be the community builders for the property uh -huh. as well, because you're the front line, you're touching everyone. And what I think is so important is to find that balance that you're able to bring instinctively of like, okay, number one, they got to do their property management jobs. And can we help them to think of those jobs in what we would refer to as a human centered way? Mm -hmm. So you are able to connect with the human beings who you are working and living around in a particular way, we can encourage people to, yes, learn the property management trade and do that extremely well with excellence and bring in these opportunities to have points of connection and points of support, even while you're doing your regular property management work. Yeah. And I would add to that then. So looking at our properties from a corporate perspective, it, I then think it's our corporate responsibility to help create efficiencies for our staff that allow them the air to breathe mm -hmm. to do just that. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, I really feel like that's our obligation. And so that's what the fun stuff of the strategic operations gets to do is to say, okay, how do we make, whether it's our software system, how do we use that and how do we how do we really use it to the fullest so our staff aren't spending all this other time downloading, uploading, whatever they're doing, documents and yada, yada, yada. Instead, um, we're making it efficient. We're giving them tools because property managers literally and figuratively put out fires every day. They don't mm -hmm. know what's going to walk into their, into their office. Um, and that's a hard place to be to do that when when I worked in transitional housing I was a case manager I had a couple roles there but but one of them was a case manager and I remember feeling like on Mondays just this dread mm. of I have no idea what happened over the weekend mm -hmm. and what I'm going to be dealing with and and I have to remember that when I think of property managers they have all these households that they're they're responsible for making sure their homes are safe making sure they're well maintained and they don't know what's going to come at their door any minute. Hmm. So our job as a company has to be to arm them with the tools, um, the stuff we know that they have to do to help do it easier so they can be ready. Wow. It's such a key point. It's one thing to say, we're giving you an invitation to be a property manager and a community builder. It's another thing to say, and we're restructuring how your job works to give you time, to give you efficiencies, to give you space to be able to do that in a certain way. You mentioned software. Are there a couple other examples you would give of operational changes you all have been able to make to live into that and to kind of create more room for property managers to do what you'd like them to do? Yeah, um, one of it is, is how we staff a property. Sometimes like in, in Pennsylvania, low-income housing tax credits, to get the tax credits, part of the application is you submit a supportive services plan. And you say, who? what are you going to do to support residents? Well, our, the way we operate is a way in which we support residents. So a resident comes to us facing eviction. We're going to help connect them to places that can provide them resources, maybe immediate resources and or long term. Right? That's just a part of how we operate. So what, we're, what we've started to do is 
staff our property. So maybe it's a part-time administrative assistant on a property. It's a little bit unusual to do that, Mm. but we're saying that admin is going to take away some of that burden, Mm. answering the phones, entering waiting lists. There's a lot of paperwork in affordable housing. And, you know, when you, for low-income housing tax credits, if somebody is, is applying for a unit, they have to be eligible for that unit. And so we have to verify everything about a person when it comes to income. We have to verify you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And, and so that admin is helpful to that manager and kind of takes some of that responsibility to get those verifications. So the manager can actually spend time with that person through the process, hopefully building that connection with them and that trust. Um, about the process. So how we staff a property is is one of the ways that we're trying to build that that add-in support for our managers. Mm-hmm. I can imagine some of our listeners thinking that makes a lot of sense. Hire an additional person, even if it's part-time to do admin, and then immediately thinking, but then how do you pay for that? Like that becomes yeah. another cost. Part of our theory, and again, lessons learned walking alongside folks from Trusted Space Partners is when we do this community building work, when you have a set of residents who become attached to the property in a certain way, care for the property in a certain way, interact with their neighbors in a certain way to say, hey, we don't do that. We don't litter. We don't destroy property. We don't, we keep an eye on how our kids and our visitors are treating the property. When you have all that happening, it will reduce costs. Yeah. That this will actually translate into savings, whether it be lower turnover, because as you know way better than I do, every time you turn over an apartment, there's costs to that. Someone's got to come in and do a bunch of things to it. So that's a cost. Lower security. Mm-hmm. You've got a community, a neighborhood where folks are looking out for each other, where you don't have to have that kind of policing, where you have a certain set of norms. Well, then yeah. that might reduce your security costs. If folks are taking care of their property in a certain way, right? You're not having yeah. kids vandalize or outsiders vandalize or people be in places they're not supposed to be. That could reduce your kind of maintenance costs on it. If folks aren't littering in the property and throwing stuff away where it's supposed to be. And I remember I was in one uh, housing development and literally watched as a person threw a sofa out of the window. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just out into the ground ahead. So it's like, I'm pretty sure that's not the appropriate process. I can only imagine who got the sofa and any other damage that was done, right? So damage. So there are all Uh these ways that a strong, vibrant community can save costs. I'm wondering, I'm sure you all think the same way. Are you seeing that at all? I mean, is that part of what then helps this cycle of, yes, we are paying for the admin person, but then the property manager is able to do more. We get this better community. We're actually helping to pay for that admin person. Yeah, that's a really hard question in this day and time because we have just come off of two years of everybody being at home. Mm. And so it I I think I don't I can't answer that question right now. I think I believe that it 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 does. Um but I, I think right now the industry is really kind of catching up. Mm-hmm. We at Trek had periods where we weren't doing regular maintenance requests, but we we started doing those pretty early and just figured out a way to do them safely for our staff. Mm-hmm. So I, that's a hard question to answer was costs are going up, electricity, water, everything's just skyrocketing right mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. um, my heart believes that same theory though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, we don't, we don't actually have security at any of our properties. That's not something that that we operate with. Um, we we have done some initiatives with residents on um, taking care of the property and really residents owning it. So Thomas Village, that that Section Eight property, their stewardship team one year said, "I don't really like how all the bikes. It's a family property, and there's I think six buildings, and they're you know all the bikes are everywhere, and just wasn't being taken care of." like we wanted people to have, cause we have like beautiful um, sheds for bikes that we can search mm. them in, you know, like it, it was just designed so well. So residents started talking to each other. What's it mean to be a good neighbor? 
how do you want your outside of your neighbor your neighborhood to look? What you know, does it bother you that you're stepping over bikes? <laughs> does it bug you that there's cigarette butts all outside the mm-hmm. door? And so started having those questions and people were like, yeah, that really bothers me. Or yeah, I can't stand that. And so coming together with a solution. And that that community did. They did like a neighborhood cleanup day and then they they actually gave like licenses to the bikes, which was like kind of cute. Um, and registered the bikes for the kids. So um, you know, that helped. I mean, that saved our, our property money. It saved our maintenance men the time and, and energy. Um, yeah, but I, I don't have a specific on the financials. Mm-hmm. Well, that continues to be something we want to do in partnership with folks like you, bringing the kind of university and the research perspective to it. Like, how do we, what do we need to track and measure to be able to to tell that story as we move forward. And as like you said, things are have been so out of whack in this industry as we get caught up with ourselves, as things settle down to begin to ask these these questions. I want to get back to the Trek story specifically and just make sure we touch on any other key milestones or strategies or breakthroughs that you all hit on your journey to make sure we share that with the listeners. As you know, I am a huge fan of the hospitality covenant that you (laughs) developed along with the good folks from Trusted Space Partners. Um, To me, it's one of the coolest things to come out of Trek. I've talked about it not only all over the country, all over the world, the Trek hospitality covenant. So I would love you to indulge me. Uh, (laughs) tell, Tell our listeners what the hospitality covenant is all about and why Mark Joseph thinks it's the greatest thing you could possibly do in a mixed income community. That's funny. Yeah. It, I, I love it. So you like it so much. For, for me, it feels so simple. Um, and, and maybe that's what's so great about it. But it, um, it really was developed as a way to say, how do we, how do we talk to our, our staff and residents about this idea? Right. How do like what what makes us different? This operating culture shift and how do we define it? That's been the hardest thing is defining this thing that we're doing, because honestly, I kind of like jokingly, half jokingly have have said to people, I feel like it's like starting a revolution because mm-hmm. we're changing how we we want to change it. You know, and when you're changing something, you have to define it. But it's really hard to define if you haven't seen the other side. So this is, I think something to help us in that way. So we pledge to three things our staff do. One, to treat treat everyone with kindness that we want. Um, and not respect, it's kindness. Mm. It's different than being nice. I hate the word nice. Mm. Um, that feels kind of fake, mm. kind. We're gonna be kind to each other. Um, we're gonna do our part to take care of the place we live and work. We all have a responsibility here. No matter what we pay in rent, no matter our responsibility, you know, if I see garbage on the ground, I should pick it up. If I see a maintenance issue in the hallway, I should let somebody know, you know, because maybe someone else didn't notice that. But we all have a responsibility to, to this community in this place. And I'm going to do my part for that. And then we take the time to help each other achieve our goals and aspirations. That's the hardest, I feel like, because... Um, it's just hard um, to really clearly define what that means. And and for me, I think it's often just, I'm giving people time. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to listen to you. And if there's a way that I can connect to you or someone to connect you to, I'm going to do that. Um, if I have something to offer to help that person in a, in a way to grow towards their goals, you know, I'm going to find the space for that to you. So those are what we pledge to. And our staff pledged to that. We talk about it in hiring and then our managers um, often talk to residents about it too and invite them on that pledge with us. We even have um, magnets. I don't, uh, um, a magnet that um, has, has it written on there. And that's, that magnet also has the maintenance line number on it. So it's on every mm-hmm. fridge in our properties as a reminder. So beautiful, Bethany. And I think what you refer to as the simplicity is there just these three things, right? Kindness. And I love what you were talking about in terms of it's not niceness, it's kindness. That I think that word hits us in a different kind of way. Doing our part. You see something, step in and do something about it. Don't wait for someone else to do it. So uh, some kind of shared responsibility. 
And then finally, helping others to reach their aspirations and goals, which you named as the hardest one, partly because you have to know what those goals are, right? So how do you learn what others' aspirations might be? So it's these three things. I think where it gets tricky and where for me it's a huge thing is what you said. This covenant is signed by, it's a pledge to, by staff and residents. And I think this is a key part of this concept of operating culture shift that Frankie Blackburn and Bill Trainer, who we give a lot of shouts out to because a lot of this comes from them, um, the operating culture shift is about all of us. So this is very different than a culture of staff serving residents. This is a culture of we are all in it together as one community. And I love what you called a moment ago, pulling a Bethany. But pulling a Bethany is like, oh, I can do this for you. I'm going to come in. I'm going to do yeah. this for you. I got you covered. Don't yeah. worry about a thing. I got it. It'll be done, mm -hmm. which can be a beautiful customer service moment, mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily build anyone's aspiration, capacity, skills, networks. The next time that thing has to be done, they're going to go looking for Bethany. Yeah. As opposed to you've done it with someone and now they can do it and you can continue to go on and do it with others. And mm -hmm. when we say staff, probably the very first person to sign the hospitality covenant was Bill Gaddy, the CEO and president yeah. and owner of the company. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I we gotta have to underscore that. This is not something that's down, you know, at the middle management or staff level. This has to go all the way to the top. That's the start company. at the top. As the yeah. start at the top. Yeah, the the top team needs to really believe in this and um, model it for, for sure. sure. Absolutely. I think the listeners will have a good sense by now of, of kind of the storyline and some of the key components of the philosophy and some of the strategies. I want to just step back, Bethany, and if there are other parts of the philosophy, if you then had to just help summarize for folks, kind of encapsulate this strategy of thinking about development and property management as so much more, and as really being about an operating culture shift in the way that you do this work, what, what have you come to understand as kind of core to that philosophy? Sometimes what I, what I describe it as is bringing the innovation that happens in development into property management too. Um, and, and that's important to me because in, in development, that's where we dream. I say sometimes mm -hmm. like that's the sexy work, right? We get to design buildings and we get to imagine and, and our, our project managers would be like, no, it's not sexy at all because we have to do budgets and we have to, you know, follow, we have our own compliance on that side too. But but there's space to imagine something there. Um, bringing that, that creativity, that imagination into how we operate daily, I think is really important because that, well, maybe it's just important to me because it's life-giving, that idea, you know, of not just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. That's often what we, we, we say here. So bringing the innovation from development into property management but I think you said it earlier, it's a human-centered property management approach. You know, remembering that we're people first. And um, and so seeing each other's people first. And yeah, seeing each other's people first is the core of, of this and meeting each other where we are right there. Yeah. Through tools, through tools that we have. Through specific tools like the hospitality yeah. covenant that we've talked mm -hmm. about. Yeah, I think having an ability to see that there is a culture that exists in any organization, in any community, and having an ability to kind of name the one that exists and dream about the one and work toward the one you want to move to is a part of this. I think very often many of us come into this, these jobs and we just work at the job as given to us. We work at the task as given to us without necessarily assessment of... <laughs> How are we working together? And is this really the only way? And I think what partly what you and I have both learned from trusted space partners is the sense of these cultures can often be dominated by fear of 
what could go wrong, fear of the other, fear of not doing the right thing or saying the wrong thing by what we've talked about a lot already, compliance. These are the rules. These are the regulations. This is how we do it. These are the standards. And often in the communities you and I are talking about by a lot of isolation that folks, and that isolation can be in the communities, resident from resident, resident from staff. We've also talked about isolation in the companies, mm -hmm. silos, property management, siloed from resident services, siloed from the development folks, siloed from the asset managers. So we've got this isolation as well. And what we're talking about here in terms of operating culture shift is what are you shifting to? And so it's a culture of aspiration. And you said dreaming, right? The dreaming you get to do when you're designing a new building or complex. How would we dream about the kind of community we want to have? How do we think about connecting people differently and dealing with the isolation in a different kind of way? And how do we allow ourselves to innovate that, yes, we have to honor and respect there are rules and there are things that need to be in compliance, but where is there room for that kind of innovation? So mm -hmm. hopefully that's filling in the sense of operating culture shift. Let's just touch briefly on kind of the, the challenges, because as we've talked about it so far, I mean, you've been very open about some, some missteps along the way, but, you know, there's a long way to go even for Trek in figuring this work out, what have you found most challenging? What has been some of the hard parts for you? All of it. <laughs> and I say that with like, um, I mean, it's true that this isn't easy work. Um, I think it is challenging. It's cha change is challenging. We're asking people to change something. That's hard. If you've been in this business for a long time, we're asking you to look at it from a different way. To, to take a little bit of a different lens to how you're seeing something. Um, that fear is real and that fear for people is, is, is a fear of, um, you know, what happens in, in affordable housing and compliance in particular is if you don't, if, if, you know, somebody's not eligible for the unit and you move them in, that property could lose its tax credits or that unit would lose its tax credits. So there's a financial risk that happens, right? And and so that's what that feels nerd like that's scary to think about for, for a manager if they're thinking about that. Um, it never feels good to have an auditor come in and tell you everything you did wrong. You know, and even though I keep saying to people, that's their job, their job is to find, they can't find anything wrong with their file, they're gonna find something wrong. So just you have to know that, that that's what they have to do. But that doesn't feel good, you know? And um, so that fear is real. We also have, you know, managers, we're, we're people and we're, we house people. And what that means is we have lots of personalities. We have lots of perspectives and we have lots of opinions. And those make things really hard, <laughs> like really hard. How do you get people um, to come together and, in a meaningful way and resolve that conflict. So, um, you know, when I say all of it, 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 like there's a piece of it, it's good, it's worth it. I think it's also particularly hard right now because, you know, in the past two years, we've been isolated. We've had to focus our practices um, as a company on the basics of what we do to just keep those steady eddies going. Mm -hmm. So, while we have incorporated a lot of um, our approach and our vision into how we operate in moments of crisis, we, we almost have to pause some of it to really get focused on, okay, the, the what has to be done right now? Because um, that's just what happens in crisis. And we've just been in an extended one. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I think that's been hard for us. I think with this particular kind of crisis that we've been through, um, Many people have been isolated and have chosen their own groups of people to be around who happen to look like them, think like them, act like them, live like them. So mm -hmm. we've kind of then, in some ways, maybe gone backwards a little bit of mm -hmm. we're not really engaging with with people, um, you know, who, who live, look, and believe differently than we do. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different hard things. Mm. Well, I am so eager to watch Trek and watch you, Bethany, in this next phase as the industry and hopefully our economy settle down a bit or at least get a little bit more predictable. And as Trek is moves into the next phase, 
of pushing on uh, some of these challenges and some of the things you want to do. But I think you've laid out beautifully, not only kind of your own story, but the story of this for-profit company that has moved from saying, you know what, we need to add a supportive services element, hired you to do that, then decided, you know what, we're going to, we're taking on property management in-house and no longer going to cut, we're going to become a property management company as well. Mm -hmm. And then it's gotten to the point now where it's like, and we're going to have a director of strategic operations whose job it is to kind of cut across these various pieces and help us integrate them within the company. So it's been an exciting trajectory to date. I cannot wait to see what comes next. Mm -hmm. um, we've got one last question. Uh, as those who've listened to our podcast before know, we like to end focused on action steps because the podcast is called Bending the Arc, but it's not going to bend itself, that uh, we each have to do work to bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice. So two questions for you, Bethany, to close out. One is an action step that you commit to personally, and then one would be an action step that you would encourage others listening to commit to. So for myself, I commit to making a bigger table and inviting others whose voices aren't often heard to that table. And, and I know that that means that sometimes I may have to step back to mm -hmm. do that. And so really committing to what that means and um, personally and professionally. Love that. For others, actually, you said it earlier, is, is um, I really encourage others to be curious. And curious, you know, that means when we are curious, we ask more questions we talk less hmm. and and we listen to understand and if we're all just a little bit more curious i think we could we could make a big impact in the world around us hmm. beautifully stated bethany thank you thank you thank you so much for the work you do for being a great friend and colleague and for being on the podcast thanks so much for having me so it's fun Many thanks to Bethany Friel for joining me for this episode of Bending the Arc. And a shout out once again to Bill Gaddy, John Ganaki, and Tricia Corwin, and the rest of the Trek development team in Pittsburgh. To read more about the Trek experience, please check out the essay by Frankie Blackburn and Bill Trainer, one of almost 40 essays in our volume on mixed income communities, available for your reading pleasure online. You can find it on our website at nimc.case.edu. Our podcast is produced and edited by Davey Barris from Case Western Reserve University's Media Vision. Funding for this podcast series was provided by the Kresge Foundation and the Ford Foundation, and funding for the What Works volume was provided by the Kresge Foundation. Thanks for listening, and thanks for sharing this podcast with anyone you think would enjoy it. And we hope you will continue to join us for future episodes. Until then, keep doing your part to bend the arc.